Turn with me then to Psalm chapter 119. Psalm 119. Psalm 119, among all chapters in the Bible, is unique. It's the longest chapter in all the Bible, as some no doubt already know. 22 sections of eight verses apiece, 172 total verses. Each section of these 22, a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. God, being an orderly God, He has given us in the 119th Psalm really an exposition of the gospel. Today we're, we're likely only going to have time to look at the first three verses, but I want to look and read the first eight, this first section of Psalm 119. And we want to just read our lesson before we go any further today. Psalm 119, beginning in verse 1. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek them or seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. There are a great many people, and maybe even people that you know well or have come into contact with in your life, but there are many people who see Christianity as a life of only struggle, difficulty, And they miss God's intention that our lives would be blessed lives. And we understand and know that that's a tricky thing to talk about today. The idea of a blessed life, it's been distorted by many. The misunderstanding of a blessed life is the currency of the false prophet. As he tries to convince us that a blessed life is about the here and now, rather than heaven and eternity, about our wants and wishes and not God's, about what it means to have a life that is consumed by our own desires rather than a life consumed with the fulfillment of God's desires. But there are many who miss the reality that God wants us to live lives that are blessed lives. You can't really miss it if you read much of Scripture The word blessed or blessing or happy appears 4,556 times in 2,068 verses in the scriptures. You can't miss it if you're at all looking and paying attention. Psalm 1-1, the opening of this very book of songs, speaks of the blessed man. What he specifically does not do in that chapter, in that beginning, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But speaking again of the blessed man, the Lord himself in his famous Sermon on the Mount, verses 3 through 11, eight times he says, blessed are, and then speaks of what it is to be blessed. 
So it is not that God does not want us to live blessed lives. Many of people that misunderstand it don't, what they're misunderstanding is what it is to be blessed. What it is to live a blessed life. What it is to be a blessed man. And I use that term in the gender neutral sense. Man or woman, any human being that God has created in his image and in his likeness, male and female, whoever that you are, God has created you and he desires for you to be blessed. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came, Jesus says, that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus' desire is that you be blessed. The title for our thought today would simply be that, the blessed man. The blessed man. He says in verse 1, blessed are those whose way is blameless. We immediately find ourselves with a problem, with understanding what the psalmist is saying. When he says, blessed are those whose way is blameless, we know that no one in their entirety, in their completeness, no one of us is blameless because all have sinned. And so, David, writing here, says, blessed are those whose way is blameless. And then we realize that we are all sinners. And so the question arises, is the blessed life out of reach? Can we truly live a life that is blessed according to God, according to his word? If the psalmist just said, if David just wrote, blessed is the one whose way is blameless. It's not a one of us that could raise our hands when we ask the question, is anyone here among us blameless? Of course not. All have sinned, Paul wrote in Romans, and fallen short of the glory of God. Absolutely everyone. None is righteous, Isaiah said. No, not one. So then what is it? Is this blessed life within reach for you and me? Can we live a life that truly is blessed? And the answer is yes. Because what the psalmist wrote is that his way is blameless. If you want to live a blessed life, if you want to be blessed, if you want to live a life that God would label blessed, then you must be engaged in a life where whose way and that way is blameless. And the word way the Hebrew is direct. It means the, a course of life, a mode of action. In the New Testament, the word is often used, the conversation, the way in which a person leads their life. There isn't a single person, as we've said, who can claim to be blameless, but the blessed man or woman has a way, a course of life that is. This way that is blameless. This verse is speaking about the overall pattern of one's life. This is what is seen when somebody pulls back and observes someone's life over a long period of time. The blessed life is something that is obtained over a long period of time of a course of life that is blameless. This long period of time is what one would see if they flew up to 50,000 feet and observed your life over a course of time and they would see not perfection, 
There isn't any one of us here today or anyone on the planet today, now or ever outside of Christ, who can say my way is without spot, without blemish, without sin. There's not any one of us that can say that. Yet, the blessed life, the blessed life that the psalmist writes about is the life that is spent as a pattern, as a course, as a habit, as a, as, as you observe it over a long period of time from a distance, you see a life that is spent desiring to please God and is blameless. Now, it's impossible to judge this over a, a short period of time. And sometimes we, we want blessing to be easy, to be short, to be something that's within easy reach for us. And earthly blessing and earthly pleasures and earthly temporary things that bring us joy, those things often are within easy reach. And we often take that reach and we often look for those things. But this way of life, this blessed man, the blessed man that David is writing about, he's writing about a life over a long period of time, and it's impossible to judge that life quickly. It's discovered only as time progresses, as a person faces good times and bad times, and everything in between the mundane the normal Wednesday and Thursday, the normal course of life as, as it is looked at and examined, the way, the conversation, the course of their life is blameless. They're striving to live a life that God is pleased with. It's not something that can be judged quickly. But once some sufficient time has passed to judge it, the way of this blessed man to be blessed is to, it is to live a life that is blameless. And blameless means just what it sounds like it means in some respects, but it also has this idea of integrity, truth. Sincerity is a word that is used to describe this Hebrew word. So it's not hypocritical. It's not just feigned. It's not fake. It's a life that over a period of time, its way is sincere and has integrity about it and is concerned about truth. So the blessed life is not out of reach. If you want to live a blessed life according to the scripture, it's not out of reach. You'll make mistakes along the way, but your way, your course of life can be blessed. It can be if it is a course of life that is blameless. It's not out of reach, but it is going to require consistency over time in your life. And as I was praying and thinking about these thoughts and asking God for his insight into what he would have us to understand today, I thought of young people in particular. This society that you're living in is constantly barraging you with the instantaneous but I want you to see and project your life over if God gives you that time over many decades uh, and years and years. And I want you to understand that the blessed life is one that occurs over a long period of time, a way of life. Years, certainly not days. But it's going to require consistency over time, a consistency in a blameless pattern of living. Few chinks in the Christian armor as we might talk about in Ephesians chapter 6. Few of those, a, a clear course of life that is lived with integrity, truth, and sincerity through the good, the bad, and 
what is sometimes only can be described as the ugly. But over a long period of time, if you want to live a blessed life, it is a life that is lived as a pattern, as a way, as a course of life that is godly, that is blameless, that is without pretension, but it's sincere and simple. And it's lived when the sun is shining and when it's raining. It's lived when friends are plentiful and when friends turn their face from you. It's lived when family is near and when family is far. It's lived when you are well and it's lived when you are sick. It's lived when you, through the, as we've said all the times, it's lived when you are refreshed and full of energy and mind and body. And it's lived when you are weary to the bone and just want to lie down and quit. It's the blessed life is a course of life. It's lived over years and years of desiring God to have and to use your life for His honor and His glory. This blameless life, this blessed life is within our reach, but it isn't something that's easily gained. It is a life that, as the psalmist writes, as David says, blessed are those whose way is blameless, whose course of life is sincere, truthful. And he goes on and says, who walk in the law of the Lord. The blessed man does not just hear the word. He doesn't just understand the word. But he lives it. It comes off the page and it becomes action in his life. It's a gospel that, and it's a truth. And when this individual, this blessed man, when he or she hears the gospel, hears the law of God, he not only hears it, but he lives it. God's word directs his steps as he walks through this life. It's not just a counselor merely that is consulted occasionally, but it is that which directs him and directs his steps. God's word is considered and consulted as he makes his way through the world. Again, not as a backup, not as some uh, an additional input into decision-making, but as the input into the decision-making of life. His faith in God is not merely a theory, a philosophy, or even a religion. It is actively lived as the principles of God's word become alive in this blessed man's life. So if we want to be blessed, if you want to be to live a life that is blessed, it must be lived blameless as a course of life with God's word being that in which you walk. For the blessed man, God's law has been tested in the fires of experience. Tested in the fires of life experience and not merely quizzed, as we might say, from the safety of a church pew or a Sunday school room. But it's lived, lived out. It becomes real and alive. And I want you to note something that you likely already know. But living this kind of life, this blessed life, according to God's word, 
Living this kind of pattern, this course of life, if you live that today, you need to be prepared for some things. God's people always have been needed to be in need of being prepared, of living in a world that is contradictory to this kind of life. You will be the salmon swimming upstream if you live this kind of life of the blessed man. You will be the salmon swimming upstream against the current. You will be the one that is going against that current, a current that seems to get more powerful each day and it gets more difficult, it seems, at times, each day to swim against the current of the world. The blessed man is not the one going in the, the easy route, the easy path. He's the one swimming upstream against the pull of this world. And he's doing so consistently over a period of time. And he's blameless in the way in which he goes about it. And by the way, repentance is part of that. But as he swims upstream, you're going to see all kinds of people. You'll see many, if not most others around you, especially again if you're young. But even those of us that are far from young, you will see all kinds of people around you frolicking about, laughing, and seemingly enjoying their lives and and apparently experiencing little of the challenge that you are as you swim upstream and as they coast easily the opposite direction. As they let the current of the world do most of their decision making for them and just carry them down this life and they miss the point of it and the whole purpose of it and they miss the blessed life because they're taking the easy life instead. That's the choice that you're going to have to make and that I have to make the easy choice or the blessed one. They're very seldomly, if ever, the same. Not while you're here. On this side of eternity, still, still housed in this tabernacle of sin, you're going to see though the world and they're going to fly by you in the opposite direction. They're going to look at you and they're going to wonder about you. You're going to look at them and they're again going to experience seemingly little of the struggle and sacrifice and the pain that you faced and continue to face. And to add insult to injury, many of them will cry out to you with their wisdom. In this world today, many of them are going to call out to you and wonder why you won't just turn around and go with them. People will wonder what you're about and why you're going in this opposite direction. They'll call out to you. They'll say things like, why are you making things so hard on yourself? Why not just turn around and let the current do the work? Why not enjoy the games we play and the ease we experience? They'll say, why fight so hard to go the opposite direction of everyone else around you? Why are you doing that? Why are you swimming upstream? Why live according to this truth? When doing so costs you your job, your relationships at times, and even your life. Why do that? And then they'll add this. Why do that when no one expects you to? because they don't expect it of themselves. If there's anything that our nation has seen in a deterioration, it is the deterioration, uh, the deterioration of our own self-discipline to do what is right. And when we lose that and we don't expect it of ourselves, we won't expect it of others, and you get the nation that we're living in today. 
You want to live, swim upstream. There's going to be all kinds of people, though, that are going to give you all kinds of outs. Easy ways off of this most difficult times path. Just be prepared for this if you would set out to live the blessed life that David writes about here. This blessed life that is lived in the presence of God. And there's so many things that we can discover and should discover. The blessed life is just that. It's a life of blessing in the presence of God. But it's going to be a life lived here, swimming upstream. And some people would say, that doesn't sound like a blessed life to me. Someone who doesn't know God or is far from Him, or weary of the work and weary of the toil. Preacher, they'll say, that doesn't sound like a blessed life to me. But what we must keep in mind is that the blessed life David is talking about and the blessed life most people consider are two different things. The blessed life to the world is comfort and ease companionship, wealth, and prosperity in this temporary world. The blessed life that David is talking about, the blessed life he is talking about, is eternal. A life of integrity and truth, yes, and a life that is, that is based upon and considerate of eternity. The blessed life we are considering here today is the life that is in line with the truth and eternity, not merely the temporary convenience that we desire in this world. I would say to you that most of the problems that we get ourselves into is because we have lost an eternal perspective on our life. The lack of burden for a lost world is because we somehow lose the perspective of the eternity that they are heading toward. But David, again, the first verse, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. That's more than just words, it's action. But he goes on, what else do we learn from this psalmist about the one, the man, the woman who is living a blessed life? It says, blessed are those who keep his testimonies. A shallow reading of this scripture can make some conclude that David is saying the same thing in different ways. It's almost like they'll read it and they'll say, well, he's just saying the same thing. He's just being poetic. After all, it's a psalm. It's a song. It's a poem. But I tell you today, that is a shallow reading of it. That's a surface level reading of it. This is a different thing that he just said. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies. Now, it's true that in many places in the Bible, the Bible repeats itself in order, to, in order to stress importance. But here, in this psalm, each phrase, each verse is speaking to something a little bit different from the others. Introducing a different idea that describes the blessed man. And if I would have began today and asked every one of us individually privately or even publicly, who wants to live a blessed life, all of us would have raised our hands. Every last one of us would have raised our hands. I would have. I want to live a blessed life. So the question and the issue is not, do you want to live a blessed life? 
The issue and the question is, do you understand what a blessed life is? And that's what David is unwrapping for us here. This is what a blessed life is. And if I could reach out to you with my words, and I pray the Spirit of God will do this, and shake us, and grab us by the shoulders, and get our attention, and drag it from off of this world, and tell us the blessed life is not what you've been told. The blessed life is not the American dream, as wonderful as it is. The blessed life is not ease and simplicity here. The blessed life is not without sacrifice and hurt and pain here. This is what the blessed life is. David is screaming at us and singing to us and telling us clearly what the blessed life is. He's already told us it's a life that's blameless in its way, its course of life. And then he comes to this, blessed are those who keep his testimonies. To keep is to guard, it's to protect, it's to maintain and to obey. To keep his testimonies. The blessed man guards God's testimony in his life. It's something he knows is valuable and so he protects it. He cares for it. He considers it and he's careful with it. He carefully considers what God has said. He's not cavalier with God's testimonies. He's not presumptuous of God's testimonies. He doesn't presume that what he thinks is what God thinks. He does not casually hold the testimonies of God as a way of life, but he guards them closely. He keeps them. And as the decisions that he faces in his life come and go, he considers and keeps God's testimonies nearby ever close to his mind and his heart. This is what a blessed life is, according to God and his word. He keeps them, he reads them, he studies them, he ensures they are always clear in his mind as he goes about the living of his life. Note specifically, though, what is kept here and how and why this phrase is different from the previous. He keeps what? God's testimonies. Is that different from his law, his statutes, his precepts? Yes. They all say the same. They all, they do not contradict one another, but we're talking about God's testimonies here. Well, what is a testimony? A testimony is the statement of a witness who is sharing what they've seen that is true. And as the witness takes the stand in a court of law and is, ju- and is tr- uh, uh, challenged and said, you are, you, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Why? So that the truth can be ascertained because this witness is one who saw the events at hand that is to be judged, that no one else saw, that only they saw. And this witness bears testimony to what they saw. The blessed man guards closely and keeps God's witness. What he says is true when you haven't seen it. When you must trust the testimony of the witness who here is God. When he says things that you say, I don't, I don't see that, God. But he says it's true. 
When something in your life that you have and that you are pursuing and God in his word in through his Holy Spirit, as you would read it, and all of a sudden through God's mercy and grace, it dawns on you that this is different than the way you think about your own life and you don't see it. You didn't see it. You haven't seen it, but you say, if you're going to be a blessed person, God, I I keep your testimony. What you've said is true. I will abide by and trust that it's true. Because God, you are God. You cannot and will not lie. You are the truth itself, Christ, the embodiment of the truth, the way to eternity. This testimony of God, and again, a testimony is defined as a solemn statement made under oath or as part of a covenant. A testimony is provided by this witness, and here the witness again is God, someone who knows the truth that you don't know. You know, in a similar way, very much like this, when God convicted me when I was 11, He bore witness to me. He testified through the Holy Spirit You're lost. You're a sinner. I hadn't seen that before. I hadn't hadn't wrestled with that. I hadn't understood it, but the Holy Spirit on something of a witness stand in my life looked at me and said, I've seen it. You're lost. You're a sinner. And then he showed it to me and he revealed it to me. And the blessed life, the blessed man is one who keeps it and says, yea, Lord, you are, you, you bear witness to the truth. When you don't understand that God moves and works in your life and you don't see the end from the beginning or anywhere in between clearly, but God testifies something to you through his word and through his Holy Spirit, When he speaks to you, the blessed man keeps it. God told me. God affirmed it. God is the witness in my life said it's well, it's okay. And I'm going to keep that until the day that I die if I'm going to be a blessed man. I'm not going to be a blessed man if I insist on my own way and my own understanding and my own witness and my own testimony. The only path to a blessed life is to bear witness with God and to to say amen when he testifies and when he bears witness in your life. Not going to be any found in anything else in any other way. I pray that we are people that are blessed because when God speaks, we say amen. And I may not see it all. I may not understand it all, but I know that witness does. And I trust him. I've trusted him in the past and he's not let me down. I'm trusting him today and he won't let me down and I will not be ashamed. That's a blessed life when you can end this life and say, I am not ashamed of my God. He has carried me from the day that I was born and and, and even created in my mother's womb until this sinful flesh 
finally succumbs to the penalty of sin, then it passes from here to there. I will not be ashamed when I stand before my Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord, and he says to me, come and enter in, you blessed one. But you want to live a blessed life? Then keep God's testimonies. Hear it. It comes more than just words on the page. It's not just the law. It's not just the precept or the statute. It's God's testimony, his witness to you, him speaking to you and to me. Trust his testimony. Trust his witness. He speaks the truth every time and all the time. And yes, that witness is going to send you upstream. It's going to send you the harder path. The way is narrow, Jesus said. The gate is narrow and the way is hard. But the blessed life keeps that, guards it and says, I will not allow God's testimony in my life to be taken, to be robbed from me. I will not allow the enemy to whisper his lies in my ear and overwhelm the witness and testimony of God in my heart. Blessed is the one who seeks God, who seeks him. Again, verse 2. To seek, daresh, to pursuit, to follow, to search for. The blessed man is someone who searches for God, pursues him. The blessed man seeks for God, his life is a search for and a pursuit of God. You want to be a blessed person? You want, you want people to look at you even and say, that is a blessed life? You want God, more importantly, to look at you and say, you are living and have lived a blessed life? Then that is a life that is pursuing God. And it just makes sense, doesn't it? You're his creation you ought to want to pursue him. And I think in the heart of everyone, there is that emptiness that wants God and pursues him because he is their creator. Once found, by the way, this blessed man, this blessed woman continues to search and seek God. Not for salvation. We know that when God saves us, he regenerates us, he justifies us, we stand uncondemned in his sight from that moment for out throughout eternity. But on this side of eternity and even in heaven, and some might disagree, it's going to be a pursuit of God, chasing him down, catching a glimpse and wanting a larger glimpse and a longer one. To study him and to understand more about him. A life that, that, that is just consumed with the pursuit of God. Life here is full of so many distractions that we seek after though, isn't it? Fame, fortune, likes on Facebook or Twitter. Comfort, worldly pleasure, great job trinkets, little shiny objects to distract our attention from what the blessed man searches and seeks for, 
which is God. Seeks for him. He seeks God in all the various roles of his life. As a son, as a father, as a daughter, as a wife, as a friend, as a co-worker, as an employer, as an employee. All of these roles, he's seeking God. Looking for God in all that he does, in all areas of his life. He seeks to find God in all of those things. And if he does not find God in a particular role or activity of his life or her life, he keeps looking until he can be found or he removes that area of his life. God's not there. That's the blessed man, according to God. Looking for God in all that kind of and all kinds of his activities. And by the way, don't think for a second that God doesn't want you to laugh and enjoy relationships. But he wants you to enjoy all those things in light of him. Never the absence of him. Always the presence of him. You want to take any good thing and distort it and turn it into poison? Take something God has given and try to remove God from it. Love, your marriage, your job, your hobbies. You want to turn that into poison? Take God out of it. It'll poison your life. And you will not be blessed. You'll be cursed. But God wants us to be blessed. Again, over 2,000 times, 2,000 scriptures and 4,000 mentions. I desire you to be blessed. But this is what it is to be blessed. Again, this blessed man seeks God in all that he does. This again might mean removing sin in an activity of life that is preventing fellowship with God. It, It might also mean removing the activity altogether. But either way, the blessed man is seeking for God in every aspect of his life. Every one of them. Because he says not only does he seek him, but you saw it. He seeks him with his whole heart. You remember in college or high school, or you've heard of them if you never took one yourself, a pass-fail test. There's no grades. It's not A, B, C, D, or F. Not 90%, 70%. It's you either pass it or you fail it. This is what the blessed man understands about God. You either seek him with everything You're not really seeking it with anything. God won't allow you, won't be second best. He will not be second to anything. This blessed man does not merely seek God. He seeks him with a whole heart. The blessed man is not a half-hearted searcher for God. He is willing to move the furniture around in his life to make sure and to seek for and to look for God. He's willing to take everything out and look and search for God. He's willing to stop whatever else he is doing and seek God. Particularly and especially when God calls out to him or her, he stops everything. He drops everything and he or she says, yes, Lord, here I am. It's not a half-hearted seeker. He's not looking for God to add extra blessings to his life. 
He is seeking God in such a way as there isn't room in his heart for anything else. I know that sounds extreme. I know it does. And I know there will be people who will say you're going too far. The word of God is just, it's an encouragement to live a, a decent life, to be a good person. And oh, how many people have lived their life around this scripture and think that that's what the Bible's all about, is just to be an honest, decent person. And they miss this most critical point. A searcher, a seeker of God with the full heart. All your heart. They go through their lives, though, these who don't understand what it means to seek God with a whole heart, they go through their lives. They might occasionally stop by a church on a Sunday. They might flip through their Bibles here and there. They might live a good life in the eyes of the world, but they have not and are not seeking Him with their whole hearts. Let me tell you this, though. And this is just true. I found it to be true myself far too many times. And I find it to be true in the Word of God. You will not find God with half your heart. You'll not find God with three quarters of your heart. You'll not find God with 99.99999% of your heart. You'll find him with all of it. Your whole heart. That's, that's the blessed one. You might be lacking the blessed life David writes about here. And maybe it's because you have not, or maybe you've never have, or maybe now you're not really... Seeking him with everything you have. And he knows. My, how he knows. I've tried to give God half my heart before. Didn't work. It doesn't work. Maybe you're missing that in your life. You're holding something back for yourself. You're hedging your bets with God. You're buying insurance for life in case God doesn't work out. You are not all in and abandoning everything else and say, God, it's you or nothing. That's not the blessed life. That's the life of the world. Move toward our closing ideas, thoughts today from his word. Verse 3 says they do no wrong. Now again, we find ourselves at a bit of a, a, a perplexity, if that's a word. The blessed man does many things, as we have seen. But he also refrains from doing wrong in so far as he can and is understanding and aware of doing so, keeping in mind all that we have said regarding the object in view being the pattern of life, a course of life, we see that the blessed man strives also to do no wrong. He takes care not to place stumbling blocks in front of other people, to offend them unnecessarily, to be wise with his words, discerning with his thoughts. He knows or she knows that eating that meat offered to idols isn't going to do anything to him or her. He knows that it's, it's just silliness. 
He knows that, but he also knows there's a, there's a brother or sister that if they saw him partake in that, as Paul talks about in Corinthians, it would offend them, it would confuse them, it would put a stumbling block in front of them. And so he says, you know what, there's nothing wrong with me eating that meat, but I'm not going to. There's many things in our life today, by the way, that fall into that category that God has not given specific prescription for. But in that analysis in Corinthians, he gives us the, the guidance of, hey, if, if you're going to cause someone to, to be confused about my will, may you be a discerning person. And this person is a man who strives not to put those things in other people's way. He does not walk on eggshells because he knows his standing with God is ultimately based on Christ's sacrifice, but he is a measured man, or he, she is a measured woman, a careful person, a considerate person, a one who thinks critically about his actions, his words, and his thoughts, and in all these things he seeks to do no wrong. It's what he's desiring to do. How many people have sacrifice their ability to be a witness to God because they might do some things that are godly, but they also do things that completely counter and, and remove their credibility as a witness. We have to be careful with that. And as a pattern of life, a blessed man, when he does wrong, by the way, he takes accountability and repents of the wrong and does what he can to make it right. Another missing component in far too much of our society. This is what the blessed man does. Repentance is a part of walking in the law of the Lord because the law of the Lord tells us to repent. So it doesn't mean we live perfectly, pristine, spotless. We're not the Pharisee who says, boy, I'm, I'm quite the thing, God. Look at me. No. No, true, sincere prayer of a righteous man is, God, look at you. And may you see you, your son, in me, not me. Finally, they walk in his ways. The last part of verse 3. They walk in his ways. The blessed man walks in the way God walks. There's a lot that could be considered here. But for time's sake, we won't get into all of it. But this blessed man, he, while he does not do so perfectly, he does as much as he can to walk in the ways of God in his course of life. The blessed man, his gait, you might say, reminds you of God. The way he walks. The way he acts. The way he thinks. The way he responds to situations in life. His gait begins to match God's. When people see this blessed man or this blessed woman, they see the one he or she is following. Because they can tell by the way they walk that they're following someone. They can tell how careful they are at every turn in the road, at every decision in life. They can tell how careful they are in the moments of, of heated um, anger. That they can, they can tell there's, there's a governor there on their tongue. There's a governor even there on their heart and their mind trying to withhold and restrain them from reacting in the way an ungodly person would. Reacting in a way that is not, does not mirror God. Reacting in a way that their gait no longer looks like God's. The blessed man, their pace begins to match God's. When God says to be still, they're still. 
God says to walk, they walk. When God says to run, they run. And when God says to sprint with everything you have, they sprint with everything they have. But they're walking with God. And they walk in his ways. The way he walks, they walk. Because they're guided, guarded, directed by God and his word. So I close today, just what about your life, you, not me, not the others, you. Are you living a blessed life? Because God wants you to. And I can tell you it is. When by God's grace and mercy I have walked this path, it is blessed. It's the only way to describe it. It doesn't end in disappointment, disillusionment, emptiness. It ends with God, his presence, his purpose, his comfort, his promise. Is your life blessed in the manner David speaks of here? Is the course of your life blameless? Are you walking daily in the law of the Lord? Are you keeping his testimonies and taking his word for it when you don't understand Are you seeking him with your whole heart? Are you striving to do no wrong in the course of your life that might be an offense to God or to others? And again, finally know this, God wants you to be blessed. I know many people say that kind of thing and miss the point. God wants you, though, to live a blessed life, to be at peace, to know him, to walk with him, And he knows that this is the only path to that true blessing. And he tells us about it again and again in Scripture. Give me your heart. And that's what I want to leave you with. You boil all this down. When you boil it all down and you get rid of all of any of the extra, I ask you don't get lost or bogged down in the minutia. That's the life of a Pharisee. I don't want you to go there. So I want you to cling to this because I believe this is where it's all fulfilled in what David was saying. When God says to give me your heart, give God your heart, the other things are going to fall into place. But there are these road signs along the way to tell us whether we indeed have given him our heart because we can think we have when we haven't. So he says, this is what a blessed man looks like. This is what his life looks like. So examine your heart, examine your life. If God has something for you to say or do um, to to change, then I, I would ask you to change it and trust him. He is a reliable witness who only speaks the truth to you because he loves you.